Coming up on Nurse Talk, judge abruptly overturns California Aid and Dying Act, says law was improperly passed. Senator Bernie Sanders pushes bill that would strengthen unions and wipe out right to work. We share a featured podcast with you about the difference between homeopathic and traditional medicine. And Healthcare in America's Donna Smith shares the Kaiser Health News Medical Bill of the Month. Fasten your seatbelts. All this and more today on Nurse Talk. Welcome to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with my co-host Shane Mason. We are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. And Casey, we'd like to take a moment to thank all of our listeners on Progressive Voices Tune In, the Tom Hartman Program, and all of our broadcast platforms. Thank you. Well, Shane, unless you know a good joke, which I know you don't, we better get busy with something more interesting than us. No appropriate jokes. I don't know any appropriate jokes. That's the problem. It's the appropriate part. You <laughs> got know plenty nothing. of jokes. Sorry, unless you want me to talk about my new dining room set. <laughs> yeah, just, there's nothing yeah, funny yeah. there. I got a new dining table and some chairs, and the table matches the chairs. Wow. Yeah, it's lovely. And, I'm and what are they made of? They're made of wood and glass and stone. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to get a cat? Yeah, and the cat's going to match the table and the chairs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's a disturbing development. Shane, as you know, we have covered the progress of California's End of Life Option Act since before 2015 when Governor Jerry Brown signed it into law. It allows doctors to prescribe lethal drugs to patients with six months or less to live. Hundreds of Californians have already taken advantage of that option, including 111 individuals who died using the drugs in the first seven months of their availability. Proponents say it provides dignity to terminally ill patients by affording them more control over the end of their lives. Sadly, a few days ago, a Riverside County Superior Court judge granted a motion by opponents of the California End of Life Option Act to invalidate the law on a procedural technicality. Unless the state successfully appeals the ruling in the next five days, eligible California residents will be prevented from utilizing medical aid in dying to peacefully end unbearable suffering. Here with us to talk about the ruling is attorney Jonathan Patterson for Compassion and Choices, the organization who fought so hard for the End of Life Option Act. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. So, Jonathan, I would like you to explain the ruling and what precipitated it. Well, the ruling was shocking because the judge ruled basically that the End of Life Option Act was unconstitutional because it didn't fit within the proclamation that the governor put forward for the special section in which it was granted. However, it was shocking because throughout the course of this lawsuit, which has lasted for you know over a year now, the judge on multiple terms multiple times has declined to grant rulings in favor of the plaintiffs. He, when they initially brought the case, they asked for a temporary restraining order to suspend the law until the case was resolved, and he declined to do so. When they asked for a preliminary injunction to suspend the law because they wanted the law to stop so people couldn't get the access to the Life Option Act, the judge refused to do so because he said, the legislature enacted the law properly during the special session. And then, lo and behold, Tuesday, May 15th, the judge grants the motion to invalidate the law because he says they didn't pass it properly during the special session. So it's mind-boggling, in a sense, to understand how on one side the law was passed properly, and then all of a sudden later now the law is not passed properly. So... 
is there an appeals process? Like, what will the next step be? Yeah, so the next step is that the, thankfully, Attorney General Becerra in his office has pledged to appeal this ruling. And so the next step is we see what that appeal looks like, how that gets done. Hopefully a stay is put in place so that way the law remains in full force and effect. Um, I think it's good to know that as of now, the law is still in full force and effect. So if people are getting their prescriptions, if they're meeting with their doctors, they can continue to do so. Nothing's changed yet. No order has been entered. No judgment has been entered. So the law is still in effect as was now. And we're hopeful that a stay is put in place so that the law will continue to be in effect throughout that appeals process. And how much time is still on the clock? And do you think they're going to get the stay? Well, I believe the appeal will likely come on Monday is what we're anticipating. Um, As far as when that stay goes in place, that is unknown. I'm hopeful and we're hopeful organizationally that they will be successful in getting that stay and keep the law in full force and effect because these are terminally ill Californians who are scared that they're not going to be able to access this law that they fought so hard for, that their legislature, that the doctor, that you know, supporters and people who've already passed away have fought so hard for. Right. And can you tell us a little more about the plaintiffs? Who are the people that brought up the issue to begin with? Well, the plaintiffs are some conservative-leading doctors and organizations who basically, they don't believe that end-of-life options should exist, that they don't believe that this is a viable option and a viable option for patients to access, even though the general public supports it. The doctors support it. The legislators supported it. But because this small group of doctors does not, they feel nobody else should be able to access it either. Right. It's really sad. And I, I will tell you, I, I work in hospice and I've had uh, I've cared for patients who have used this Option Act. But more often than not, what happens is people get the drugs and they don't use them. They need to Correct. know that they have that option. And I'm telling you, for people who are suffering at the end of life, just knowing that they have control to let go when they want to really usually affords them the option to go to the end and and to die uh, naturally. And that's what's so egregious about this law and really hurtful that these doctors, the people who have sworn a Hippocratic oath to do no harm, this is doing harm. Absolutely, absolutely. The peace of mind that people get knowing that they have that option, like you said, it makes them able to, t- to try other treatment options. It makes them comfortable. You know, we in Oregon, I believe it's something like a third of patients who actually get the medication don't use it because, like you said, sometimes it's just having the peace of mind that if something were to happen, I have this option to make sure that my pain isn't going to be interminable. I'm not going to be stuck in this situation that I'm in. And so, for Californians to have that taken away from them is just egregious. So, Jonathan, have other states that have passed similar legislation been challenged like this? So there's been challenges in other states, but they haven't been successful. Oregon was challenged initially 20-something years ago, but it wasn't successful ultimately. Obviously, we have the Death of Dignity Act in Oregon, and terminally ill Oregonians are still able to access it. There's been challenges in um Vermont, for instance, and that wasn't successful. So this is, you know, it's it's a new a new ruling, a new 
challenge for us, but we've overcome challenges in the past, and I'm confident we'll be successful and that the attorney general will be successful in their appeal. So what's next, and what can people do to help with this fight? Because I know that hospice workers all over the state uh, really are are quite stunned by this, and th- this is, is very upsetting. So what can we do to help? I think supporting the organization, supporting the attorney general as they go forward, I think voicing their concerns, letting their legislators know that they want this, that they're excited or happy that it was passed. Um, I think just making sure not to stay silent about it and letting people know, letting their legislators, doctors, et cetera, that they want this option, that they're happy that it's there and that they want it to continue to be there. Great. Well, Jonathan, we really appreciate this work that you're doing. I think it's super important. It's something that um, a lot of people are afraid to talk about, to think about, and just having people on the front lines fighting for them is, is really appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to everybody else who's donating their time to this effort as well. Thank you for giving us a chance to talk about it. Thank you. Thank you. We've been talking with attorney Jonathan Patterson, who represents Compassion and Choices, the organization that fought tirelessly and laid the groundwork to pass the California End-of-Life Option Act in 2015. For more information about this ruling and about Compassion and Choices and how you can support this cause, visit CompassionAndChoices.org. We'll be right back with our Best Of podcast in Healthcare in America with Donna Smith. Stay with us. We have another whopping medical bill to share with you. You're listening to Nurse Talk Radio. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Don't believe the myths. Single-payer is no more socialized medicine than the police department is socialized crime-fighting. The California One Care Plan is publicly financed, privately delivered health care. You choose your own doctor, and together, you and your doctor manage your care. Doctors want it, nurses want it, and so do two-thirds of the people in poll after poll. Join us today, and let's make it happen. California One Care. Full care for all for less. So we are nurses, so we can... Oh, uh, scratch that one. We'll start again. We are nurses, so we cannot prescribe diagnosis. Oh, yeah, let's try that one more time. No. Oh, you didn't say that right, Casey. Let's uh, have you read that. Disclaimer, take 10. I can't see. Oh, here, here's some glasses. Oh, Jesus, man. Take 11. We are nurses. That always gets a laugh, Maggie, because whenever you say we are nurses, I just look at you and laugh. We are nurses, and so we cannot prescribe. We are nurses, so we cannot prescribe, diagnose, or treat. We give advice, but we also advise our callers to see their physicians. But as always, laughter is the best medicine. Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with Shane Mason, and we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. Naturopathic doctors combine the wisdom of nature with the rigors of modern science. Steeped in traditional healing methods, principles, and practices, naturopathic medicine focuses on holistic, proactive prevention and comprehensive diagnosis and treatment. Naturopathic doctors work in private practices, hospitals, clinics, and community health centers. Qualified naturopathic doctors undergo rigorous training before they become licensed healthcare practitioners. While there are a multitude of myths about naturopathic and homeopathic medicine, 
both of which are two different medical alternatives, it is becoming increasingly more mainstream as an alternative to Western medicine in some cases, but a majority use it as a complementary alternative. Now for the good news. In a moment, we'll be talking with two Bay Area naturopathic doctors who I came across during my chemotherapy treatments. I'll share that story in a moment, but first let's introduce our guests. With us today are Dr. Todd Bourne and Dr. Mimosa Tuneau. Dr. Bourne is a naturopathic doctor, certified nutrition specialist, co-owner, and medical director of Bourne Naturopathic Associates in Alameda, California. And Dr. Tuneau is a licensed naturopathic doctor and IV nutritional therapist. She practices at the Bourne Clinic. Welcome to both of you. Great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. That's great. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Let's get right to it. So give us the basics of naturopathic medicine and how it's different from homeopathic medicine. So the difference between naturopathic medicine and homeopathic medicine is just like our conventional medical and allopathic brethren, we have to have an undergraduate degree in uh, basic sciences or Bachelor of Arts, do the same pre-med prerequisites that they do. We also attend four to five years of medical school, depending on what track you decide to take, where we take the same basic sciences, the same clinical sciences, pass board exams just like they do, uh, and then we some uh, individuals opted to qualify for a residency afterwards, where in homeopathic medicine, uh, they usually attend a certificate course, but not to denigrate them. They do have a number of years of schooling, but they are not allowed to diagnose uh, nor do physical exam on patients, uh, where homeopathic medicine falls under the umbrage of one of the modalities that we use. And one of the major differences also is that we follow a therapeutic order where we come in with the least aggressive, least invasive treatment uh, interventions first, saving drugs and surgery as a last resort. And that doesn't mean that we shy patients away from drugs and surgery. Uh, for example, if a patient comes in and has uh, bacterial pneumonia, we diagnose bacterial pneumonia, you can use homeopathic medicine, botanical medicines, but the patients may uh, feel pretty sickly for a while when we also offer up the antibiotic treatment that can have them better in a few days. So essentially, homeopathic medicine just uses homeopathy, and we're allowed to use that as one of our many modalities. So there seem to be a lot of myths out there about naturopathy, and can you do a little myth-busting here? The first one is that naturopathic care is really expensive. Is that accurate? It actually isn't. So at our practice, for example, our first appointment is a little bit more than an hour, and we discuss everything with the patients, just as their mental, emotional, physical concerns, and look at the body as a whole. So rather than going to see many specialists, we address many types of conditions, saving the patient time. We also spend a lot of time with our patients and answer all of their questions that their conventional doctors might not have time to address. So that's just one visit instead of many multiple visits. And also, our treatments address the root cause of the disease, so we don't suppress symptoms, which might reappear later and would make the patient need to get treated again. And also, naturopathic doctors are really excellent at preventing diseases, which will save the patient a lot of money in the future because they will have to take off fewer days from colds and flus. Can you go through your insurances? Is this something that's covered by most insurances? So, in, unfortunately, for the state of California, insurances are not accepted. We can't take insurance. But we, if the patient has a PPO plan, then we can give the patient what's called a super bill, and the patient can submit that to their insurance company for reimbursement. And reimbursement depends on the kind of insurance that the patient has. But we also take FSAs or HSAs, 
like those flexible spending accounts and the health savings accounts. So there's a lot of different things that the patient can use. What's the barrier with being able to charge insurance? What What's the problem with that, do you think? That's mostly politics. So mm-hmm. I practiced in two other states. When I practiced in Seattle, Washington and Avon, Connecticut, those were actually very well-reimbursed states. Uh, so most of my patients in Connecticut, for example, they had $10 copays. Uh, so everything was run through insurance. Same thing with Seattle and Washington State were considered primary care providers. Unfortunately, in California, albeit we are considered primary care providers, at this time we are actually not legally allowed to even contract with an insurance company. And most of that pretty much has to do with politics. But as uh, the medicine grows and people wanting to do that, advocacy kind of comes in, and it's mostly patient-driven. as They start to pressure insurance companies and carriers to uh, license and accept naturopathic doctors, then eventually we'll be able to contract with them. Uh, and it is, California is very complicated. And, um, for example, if you have a Kaiser patient, which is half of our practice, is Kaiser. Kaiser is a closed system. Kaiser only covers Kaiser. So nothing we do, even labs, is covered. If you have a PPO, all they, your insurance company will not uh, differentiate between us and a medical doctor or an osteopathic doctor when it comes to x-rays, other diagnostic imaging, pharmaceutical prescriptions, and uh, any in the labs we want to run. It's just the actual office visit. But hopefully, uh, as laws change, uh, insurance carriers in California will eventually start allowing us to contract with them. But I think mostly it's just a political uh, piece at this point. That's fascinating. So let's talk about practice and philosophy, that naturopathic doctors act to identify and remove obstacles to healing and recovery and to facilitate and augment this inherent self-healing process. Can you say more about that? Naturopathic medicine, we use therapies that are safe and effective. And since the goal is to identify and treat the cause, naturopathic doctors avoid treatments that obscure the cause by suppressing the symptoms. So rather than giving a patient a medication that treats one thing that can cause many side effects, we address any obstacle to cure they might have had, such as a bad diet or a sedentary lifestyle, and recommend herbs and supplements that will support the body but also treat the condition. So we believe that the body has the innate ability to heal. So if we remove something that is preventing the body to heal, then the body will naturally heal itself. And something else that most of us are familiar with is the idea of first do no harm. So talk about how these guidelines are employed in in your own practices. Exactly. So kind of like what I just talked about where we identify the cause and we treat that. So first do no harm. We think, okay, what is the body needing? What is preventing the body from doing its best at living life, at doing everything that it's supposed to do. And instead of giving the person one type of medication that can cause more side effects, leading the person to take another type of medication, what we do are natural and will stimulate the body's natural healing abilities so that the body can heal itself naturally so we don't have to worry about giving the body other types of medication, which would lead to more side effects. For more information about this topic, visit nursetalksite.com. That music can mean only one thing. It's time for Healthcare in America with senior correspondent, healthcare for all activist, 
national treasure, author of Donna Smith's book is coming, the one and only Donna Smith. Donna, welcome. Always great to have you with us. <laughs> That's quite an intro. That, that's I love something. that intro. Yeah. It made me thrilled to hear yeah, yeah. So there's a lot happening. I don't know where to start, but let's try anyway. Can you talk about the importance of Senator Bernie Sanders' bill that both strengthens unions and wipes out right-to-work laws? What would the bill do and why is it necessary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a great bill. I mean, thank goodness that Bernie is fighting back on this issue, and there's quite a few co-sponsors at this point. So Bernie's bill uh, really would take the energy that we see in the country right at the moment from teachers. They're doing a, teachers across the country are doing just a fabulous job in standing up and, and forcing uh, their districts and their states to pay attention to what's going on, and it's showing the strength and the solidarity that comes from when you stand together in union with other people. So the bill actually takes a lot of the issues that we find in first setting of contracts for workers. You know, when people are trying to first organize into a union, sometimes, I know it'll be shocking to imagine, but employers sometimes dig their heels in and slow everything down so that they don't have to really implement anything that a contract might make them do. So Bernie's bill actually requires that there be action in a timely way on issues that happen than contracts. They can't just sit on them and wait forever and ever and ever to have something happen. The other thing it really starts to do, we have seen so many of these misnamed right-to-work kind of provisions all across the country, which really aren't a right-to-work, folks. Everybody knows that, I think, or most people do, that it really is just a euphemism for saying that you, you don't want people to be in a union. Yeah. And it really starts to protect some of those things that, that we're seeing take a hit, like uh, we saw in Wisconsin with Scott Walker, where he tried so desperately to injure the public employee unions and get the, take the teeth out of them by allowing people to opt out of being union members. Well, we need to stop doing that. We need to stop weakening unions, and we need to shore them up make sure that employees can stand together in a strong union that has teeth enough to move a contract and enforce a contract when there is one. It forces arbitration if there's a dispute so that we can move things along. We're not going to get it done before this Congress is out of office, but when we boot these people out in November and put in some people who can actually act independently of the Trump situation and people who can actually move Yes, there is a chance we could get it done. So here's a little more positive story. The city of Sacramento, California, just did the right thing when they approved a hospice for terminally ill homeless people who would otherwise be dying in the streets. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I thought what a sweet and wonderful story that we need a whole lot more of right at the moment in our country. It talks about the fact that in Sacramento they've decided to uh, set up it's a $3 million project building a place where the homeless not only it's not shelter-like and that you don't go in with bare bones things people get sick who are homeless too and sick people end up homeless as we know in our broken health care system so at least in sacramento uh one of the nicest and and most moving lines in the story talks about one of the people testifying at the hearing on this said that when homeless people die in the bushes, it's on all of us. Well, isn't that the truth? If we are going to allow our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues, many of whom we may think 
could never possibly end up homeless, to actually die without having the comfort of just even a bed or a place to use a bathroom or some kind of care that eases them out of this life that has already been so hard for them that they ended up homeless. What kind of people are we if we're not going to do that? So what a wonderful story to read that in Sacramento. And it's one of, I think they believe it's the only one on the West Coast, and there are very few across the country. But aside from getting us to the point where we don't need to have sick people end up on the street at all, what a wonderful thing to be doing in Sacramento. Thank you, Sacramento, and I hope it spreads to many more cities across California and across the country. It's a wonderful thing to be doing. I hope it does, too. That's quite remarkable. And that's Marlene von Friedrichs Fitzwater, who was a retired professor in the UC Davis College of Medicine. And she's put forth and is pushing for this hospice for terminally ill homeless men and women on North C Street in Sacramento. So congratulations to her. That's a wonderful thing. And yes, Donna, I hope this grows. Absolutely, and thank you for mentioning her name. She well deserves that. And I think it's notable that of the people who came to testify at the public hearing, of course, you always have those few voices who are worried about their property values in the neighborhood. But thank goodness, thank goodness, there were enough wonderful, good, decent people who came forward to say, this is the right thing to do. Yes. Yeah, and so, Donna, uh, last but not least, um, from our friends at Kaiser Health News and NPR, uh, the headline is Sticker Shock Jolts Hoke, Oklahoma Patient $15,000 for Four Tiny Screws. <laughs> wow, 15. Talk about getting screwed, yeah. baby. Woo! Oh, you stole my joke. Mm-hmm. You stole my joke. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I, I mean, how could you not make that joke? $15,000 for four screws. So tell us, what were the four screws for? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, it just is it's kind of staggering, isn't it, when you think about it? You're just, oh, my God, this poor woman is getting a, a joint, a toe joint, a, a toe. Oh, These my gosh. screws in her toe. She was having trouble walking for a very long time, and uh, she decided she was going to get this surgery. Well, after she gets the surgery done, of course, she ends up with a letter from the insurance company saying, oops, we're not going to pay for that. She gets a $115,000 bill for having this oh uh, surgical God. procedure done. And among the things billed on that bill are these is $15,000. Apparently, there's two different kinds of screws. There was two of one kind and two of another kind. And each of those two sets was $7,500 for a total of $15,000 for these little tiny screws. Outrageous. So I think what that points to for all of us yet again is, uh, you know, the issue of we must, we must move to a more just health care system yes. that provides health care to everybody in this country, regardless of their ability to pay, that also allows us to negotiate those costs and prices and makes it transparent so we know that these, what's happening with these. You, we, we cannot have this system where people are surprised after the fact of getting care yeah. with yeah. how much it's going to cost. That's so wrong. Yep. Well, and it's it's just so terrible. Let's yet again another reason for universal health care because if we had Medicare for all, they wouldn't be getting $15,000 for t- four tiny screws. That no. would be worked out. We would negotiate that out. We would negotiate our medicines. It's a no-brainer. 
Absolutely, it's a no-brainer. The only people who gain by keeping it this way are the shareholders and the corporate interests that have health insurance companies' interests at heart, big pharmaceutical interests at heart, and some of the pharmaceutical equipment, the medical equipment devices. Those are the people who are making money. Healthcare is not a place where we ought to be making people wealthy. Healthcare is a place where we need to make people healthy, hence healthcare. Donna, any information on this defunding of Planned Parenthood? Do you know anything oh, about that? Oh, my gosh. I mean, come on. I mean, this is seriously a, a terrible thing to be doing. I mean, to say that any clinic that provides abortion uh, counseling or, or abortion services is going to have their funding cut for that is just a ridiculous thing for this man to do by executive order. Um, and the fact that his fellow Republicans don't stop him is just as reprehensible to me. When do women get to control their own bodies without men who are in power making the decision that they have that control? It is wrong, and we're going to have to fight back, all of us, if we don't want to see more laws like this horrible law that just passed in Iowa that tells people that if there's a heartbeat, if there's a heartbeat in a fetus, then an abortion can't be performed. That is a silly measure of the the only measure that we may have. It makes an implication that they, we go again to that whole argument that you're killing a baby if you have an abortion, and that it, that is just not necessary. All right, so as usual, for more information on any of these topics, visit nursetalksite.com, nationalnursesunited.org, or pda.org. Donna, always a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much. Keep up the good fight. We need you out there. Thank you. Likewise, nurses, go for it. That's it for today. Thanks for listening, and thank you to our executive producer, Patty Lockhart, sound design and engineering, June Miller and JMC Sound, Taylor Lockhart Research, and National Nurses United and all the nurses on duty today, and, of course, our listeners and guests. Take care and visit us at nursetalksite.com or like our Facebook page at Nurse Talk. Nurse Talk.